Thank you for that prayer today, Kobe. Man, I feel fancy. We got ferns. That's new. Between two ferns. <laughs> Some of you know what that's about. Some of you are better than me. All right. Well, look, I'm, uh, I'm excited about today uh, for a couple of reasons, but, but uh, mostly just because I have been uh, just completely and utterly dependent on God this week to speak in terms of our text today, and He has been faithful to do so, and that is always exciting. Uh, a couple of things before we get started. Um, if you'd like, in the back on that back table in the corner here uh, are some outlines. Those are also available in the Faith Life app. I also ran across this weekend um, just a neat little graphic page that just you can take notes on if you're into that. It's got some places to doodle and things like that. So if any of that is beneficial to you, feel free to go get one. Um, they're in the back. And there's also some pens and markers and things like that. Um, I also wanted to, to point out if, if you use the Faith Life app, Within that outline, and you'll see them on the outline, the printed one today, I've included some questions up amongst all the bullet points. Uh, and the reason for that is, is I use those questions in our life group uh, as discussion starters. It kind of gets us prompted to talk about what we talked about in the sermon for that week. And so if you guys would like to utilize those, I put it there just so that it's not another thing that I have to remember to put out. I'm already doing that, so I just added it in. And also, hopefully, as we're going through the sermon today, that will prompt your brain to stay engaged uh, and, and ask some questions. These are questions that the Lord's brought to my mind as I've studied the text this week, and hopefully they'll be beneficial to you as well. Um, just as a reminder, uh, we have been going through this, this study of the book of Exodus since the beginning of the year, and our goal in that is uh, to ask God how He is calling us to join Him to set people free. And so as we look at the text today, I want to keep that same mindset uh, in place. I want us to understand that the things that the Lord is saying uh, to Moses and to Israel, the things that he is establishing ultimately is for one purpose, and that is to restore the relationship that was lost due to sin in the beginning. So as we look at that today, we want to keep that framework in our mind. We looked at last week at how Israel responded to God when he was revealing himself to them on the mountain, and their response was to back away. They were afraid of the Lord because they did not know him in the way that Moses knew God. They had seen him work from a distance. They had seen the miracles that he did in Egypt. He had done all that. They saw it and they experienced that. But they didn't have a personal experience with God like Moses did. They had not had that opportunity, that one-on-one -on -one time that Moses had. We talked about how our role in joining God is to have those personal experiences for ourselves, but also to share them with those that God's put in our life as an encouragement for them to seek to have those own experiences for themselves. So it's, for, it's for us to to live in that personal relationship with God and then to share that with those which will draw them, God will use that to draw them in. Um, we talked about as a result of Israel's um, lack of relationship, they moved back away from God and they asked God not to speak to them. They said, God, you speak to Moses and then Moses can tell us what you said. They, they did not want to go into God. They asked for a mediator. And as we know now, that's the arrangement that we're going to see from this point forward until Jesus comes, that there's always going to be a mediator between God and his people. God spoke through the prophets, and as a result of that distance between God and his people, most of Israel never really got an opportunity to know God because uh, there was that, that distance between them. Um, God's desire and purpose in the covenant is to continue the process of restoring the relationship that, that we have with him that was severed by sin. And today, as we look at this, we're going to see that this is a continual process that is still happening even today. And that process is going to continue until one day when Jesus comes back and abolishes sin from the face of the earth. 
Okay? And then we ended last week with the idea that we cannot join God in doing anything if we're not being drawn into his presence. If we are not spending that time with him, we cannot join God because we are not with God. And as we move into our text today, I want to remind you that if you were able to attend the, the class that Russ did um, before we started this series or as we were beginning on a kind of in-depth study of the book of Exodus, he talked about this idea of a vassal treaty. A vassal treaty was a, uh, a covenant that was held between um, two, two parties that had a conflict. Okay? And it's important for us to understand that concept because this is the kind of covenant that God is establishing with his people. God is using their current culture, their, con- their current context to speak truth into their lives in a way that they can grab a hold of, right? And we're going to see how God's going to continue to do that for Israel. So a vassal treaty is an agreement. If a, if a, a, a tribe or a nation came in and conquered another, the, the leader of that conquering uh, tribe would establish this vassal treaty that would say, because of these things that I have done, you are subject to do these things that I command, right? And we see God doing that in the beginning of, of chapter 20 of Exodus. He says, I am the Lord your God because I have brought you out of Egypt. So God is using this idea of a vassal treaty, okay? So um, what do we want to look at today? We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the end of, of chapter 20, and then we're going to move into the first 11 verses of chapter 21 of Exodus, okay? Um, as we look at these next, few, in these next few chapters, I want to keep this framework in mind that God uses our culture to reveal new understanding about who he is. Okay, and we're going to see today that God speaks into cultural, into the construct for their time. And that construct that they're living in is not acceptable today. And if you've read ahead and you know the context of chapter 21, immediately you know what I'm talking about. But we'll get there in a minute. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can flip ahead in your Bible. Uh, you can open that up or you can just wait until we get there. Okay? So we're going to see how God speaks into that and communicates truth of his character to the people of Israel. Okay? And the next few chapters that we're going to look at uh, through the end of 23 and the beginning of chapter 24, we're going to, not going to do all that today. You know I can't do that. Um, that was a joke. Some of you know. Uh, so we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. And each of those, instead of going really in-depth verse by verse like we've done in the last uh, several months, we're going to just kind of take a broad stroke, look at God's intent behind what he's communicating and why it's important for Israel and why it's important for us to understand that. Okay, so um, I think it's also worth saying from the outset that I am no expert, neither in uh, Hebrew culture or in the Hebrew language, but I have studied this week and I've asked God to reveal to me the application that he has for us in these next few chapters because it's important for us. And I'm confident by the end of the day, I'm confident that what's going to happen is all of us are going to have more questions than what we had when we started today, okay? I know that's going to be true for me, and I know it's going to be true for you, but those are good things. It's good to have questions, and, and, and I've, as I thought about this week, if I preach and you don't come out of here with questions, I did not do a good job, right? Because I want you to move from a place of, of where you currently understand to something new, and anytime we move from something we understand to something we don't understand, questions are a part of that process so it's good to have questions okay um, and I also want to remind you that it is a standard tactic of the enemy to take something that can be a disputable matter puff it up to be way bigger than it is and let that be the focus instead of the truth of what God's trying to communicate so guard your hearts today okay we're going to get in some stuff that's a little bit that's a little bit difficult and so I don't want us to um, to get bogged down in the details that are not as important as the overall context of what God's saying okay so let's begin we're going to read Exodus 20 verses 23 through 26. We're going to talk today about, and this section is about the law about altars, 
And then after that, we're going to move into chapter 21, which is laws about slaves. Okay, so let's start with Exodus 20, 22 through 26. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice it on your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I call my name, cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool upon it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness not be exposed on it. Okay, so let's talk about laws about altars. All right, this is a short little, little passage where God is giving Israel instructions on how they are to worship him. Okay, which is, if you'll remember, what those first four commandments that we studied, all four of those are about our relationship with God, how we are to relate to him. Okay, so remember that God's goal is to restore the relationship that we once had with God. That is the purpose of the law. That's the purpose of what he's trying to accomplish. In the garden, we remember that Adam and Eve, what did they do with God? They walked with him, right, daily. They had conversations. They spoke with one another. And compare that to what we see at the, what we talked about last week in Exodus chapter 20, where God is before Israel on the mountain, and what was their response? It was fear. They were afraid of God. There was a separation that had happened there, and the major difference between those two interactions is, is a singular thing, and that's sin. When, God, when Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, they were blameless. They had not sinned, and they were able to be in the presence of a holy God. But when Israel approaches the mountain and they, they come near the presence of God because God is holy and they are not there is this interaction that happens there is a separation that it's there um, and there's a huge difference between those two Bethany and I learned early on in youth ministry that there is this um, this thing that happens within within the life of a student if they come to a youth group meeting on a regular basis whether it's a Wednesday or a Sunday night everything's great but if they miss one of those meetings it's a little bit more difficult for them to come back and some of you may be able to remember back because you're not that far removed, what that feels like. If you miss one week, it's a little bit difficult to come back, but if you miss two or three or four, the chances of gaining that student back in your youth ministry, for which each, each time they missed, it was harder and harder to get them back. Why is that? What is it about our human nature? Because the same thing happens with adults, right? If you think about your life, if you were part of a group for a while and you miss several times when that group got together, you find yourself kind of distanced from them. And the reason for that is that in our minds, we think about all the things that we missed. We think about, well, perhaps they were talking about me when I was gone, or perhaps there's an inside joke now that I'm not going to know, and I'm going to feel like I'm not part of the group anymore. We see this happening with students. I've seen it happen with adults. And the reason for that is we convince ourselves that others have moved on without us, and we're behind in the subject matter, or maybe, maybe even the jokes, or, or whatever else was going on. As humans, when we spend time apart from one another, there's this gap that, that begins to form that is incredibly difficult to overcome. It's just part of our human nature. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing happening between God and Israel in our text today and in our text last week. We see that, that God has this relationship with Abraham and his sons before they go into Egypt for the famine. And then we have 400 years of slavery. And we don't know the context of God's relationship with Israel. The scripture doesn't give us that. But what we do know is that when, when uh, Moses goes in and begins to speak to the people, they know who God is, right? 
they have an understanding about who he is. But as God begins to work in their lives, we see them constantly pulling away. We see them not, not wanting to go into the presence of God. And I think a lot of that is because of our human nature, because they feel like, I don't know this person that is God. I don't know this God. And, and because of that, I'm, I'm feeling this separation, this anxiety about joining him because I do not know him. Think about this. Up until this point in the story of Israel's deliverance, God had gone off, had called Moses to go off by himself, right? Anytime God has an interaction with Moses, God calls Moses to come to him. And do you remember the reason that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh that they needed to go into the wilderness? Anybody remember? What was the purpose? What were they supposed to do when they got there? They were supposed to worship God, right? So God is calling Israel out of Egypt for the purpose of a relationship with him. Here's what I think is happening. In addition to God freeing Israel from slavery in Egypt, God brings them into the wilderness to reveal himself to all of Israel. The purpose of God pulling them out. Remember, he made this promise to Abraham. He said that, that they would be his people, right? And so God is pulling them out of Egypt for the purpose of revealing himself to him. The difference we, we just talked about between now and when Adam and Eve walked with God is that there's sin there, okay? And so God is beginning a process of redeeming his people, and their response to that is no. We don't want any of that. Think about this for a minute. Think about the implications of what's happening. God has done all of this work in the life of Egypt, in the life of Israel. He's gone through all of these miracles. He's gone through um, the tearing apart of families and the death and the destruction that came with that, all for the purpose of being able to reveal himself to Israel. And Israel's response to all of that work, to all of those miracles, to all of that pain is no. We don't want it. You talk to Moses, and then Moses can tell us what you said. Right after this interaction with Moses, what does he do? What's the scripture say? He says he goes off into the presence of God. And it's from this point forward, we're going to see God speaking, not directly to Israel anymore, but to Moses. And from this point, we're going to see that God is setting forth an elaborate set of guidelines on how Israel is to interact with God. Until Jesus comes, we're going to see that there must be a mediator between Israel and God. Israel chose to distance themselves from God, and God allows it. I was reading this morning one of my devotions. I think it was Oswald Chambers, but I don't remember. But he talks about how God does not force himself upon us. God is not going to make you do anything. God is going to tell you what is best for you, and because he's given us free will, we then get to choose on how we're going to respond to what God is, is saying to us. Israel chooses to step away from God. So God tells Moses, okay, fine, look. They want to have you between us. Here's how this is going to work. And he gives these rules about how altars are to be built and how sacrifices are to be made for the redemption of the sin, right? So he reminds Israel that they have seen for themselves that he has spoken. So he's saying to Moses, remind Israel of all of the things that they have seen. Remind them that I have spoken directly to them. And then tell them that they are to worship me alone and not to make anything in my image or the image of another God and put us together. 
He says, make for me an altar and sacrifice on that altar. And that system of sacrifices will be how their sins are atoned for until Jesus comes and dies. He's setting up this imagery of the giving of a life and the shedding of the blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so this is going to be a process that is ingrained in the mind of Israel until Jesus comes. So that when Jesus does come, they can recognize him for who he is. And even though Israel chooses, just like Adam and Eve, to serve their own interest instead of God's, God is not going to give up on them. And that is good news for us. That even when we choose to follow our own passions, our own desires, instead of listening to what God has for us, God's not going to give up on us. So God sets forth these regulations on how they interact with Him, and He gives a ton of instruction on how they're to relate to one another. And the majority of this covenant is about how we treat one another. If you look at the context, at the, at the volume of this covenant, the majority of it is not about how we relate to God. It's about how we relate to one another. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going we're to step into the first one. And I think it's important to say again that God is setting Israel aside as his own to show, God, to show all nations that he is different by the way they live and interact with him and one, with one another, right? God is setting them apart. Okay, so let's talk about laws about slaves. Let's look at Exodus 21, verses 1 through 11. Don't get nervous, I'm not, okay? God's got some good stuff in here for us. Exodus 21, 1 through 11. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. This is God talking to Moses, saying, Moses, you set these rules. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore in his ear through with an, with an awl, that's an ear piercing, a big one, okay? And he shall be his slave forever. And when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, her, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, he shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Okay, from the outset, can we all agree together that slavery is wrong? Okay, podcast land, I'm getting a few nods. I need to have all the nods. Slavery is bad, okay? If you're not clear on that, we need to have some conversations after the message. Okay, so if we know that slavery is wrong, why does God devote this amount of text to how we are to deal with slaves, right? I've been asking myself that for weeks, like, and not just every now and then. This has been on my mind and on my heart, okay? Let me point out that this Hebrew word for slave is most often translated as servant, but in our text today, it's translated as slave. One of the commentaries I read this past week said this. It says, it is something surprising that regulations concerning slaves come first in the listing of covenant items. If such laws show up in all the law codes elsewhere in the ancient Near East, they are far down the list. So if they show up, they're at the bottom of the list. Perhaps they show up here first because slavery had been such a recent Israelite experience. 
Thus God was seeking to use the freshness of that experience to remind the newly freed Israelites not to fall into old patterns of oppression. And listen, I'm going to admit to you, I am surprised, but not that they're at the beginning, but that they're there at all. Like God, if you just freed Israel, why are you giving them regulations on slaves? Like this didn't make, make sense to me. And I don't know about you, but I need this to make sense. I need to understand if this is scripture, it's the living, breathing word of God. I need to understand what this is about, right? I need to see some nods, right? Yes, this is important. We need to understand, okay? This, this commentator goes on to say, while these laws assume the existence of slavery, they seek to ensure that persons in this sad condition are not thereby reduced to mere possessions to be used as such. Listen, as I've been talking to God this weekend, asking Him to help me understand this passage, and especially what are we, as a white body of believers, how do we apply this to our lives, right? I have been persistent in asking God questions. This has been on my mind for over a month. I even had a conversation with the elders and said, please pray for me as we approach this text, because here's what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to just skip over it, we haven't skipped a thing in Exodus. Why would we start here? If we did, it would communicate something, okay? But also, I didn't want to make either a shallow application that is not found in the text or to make light of the inhumanity that is slavery. This is an important topic in our current culture. We saw something happen just this weekend where a high school had their homecoming canceled because of some racist comments that were made on Snapchat. This is a real thing, and God wants to speak into this today, okay? So this week, Friday afternoon, or Friday morning, I'm driving down I-49, going somewhere for work. I got an hour and a half drive ahead of me, and so I captured that time. I said, okay, God, let's talk about this, okay? I've been reading about it all week. I still don't understand. I need some revelation. So I'm looking for, don't do this while you're driving. I'm looking for podcasts. I'm looking for anything I can find on this text to try to help me understand. And I ran across a lecture series, I think it was by R.C. Sproul, I don't remember. But as that's playing, I'm thinking and I'm asking questions and this thought comes to mind. It, didn't, it wasn't anything that, that the, the author said, but it was, I believe, a thought from God. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 22. We're going to look at this text and then we're going to make some application to what we're reading in Exodus 21. Starting in verse 4 and going through 22, it says this. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to them, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you would they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all these words to the Lord of the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. 
And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said no but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. There's so much in here that I could unpack today, but we're not going to do it. Okay, there's so much good in there. Let me say this. Israel did not like the leadership structure they were living under and asked God to change it based on their desires, not on God's word. They chose that leadership structure. On the mountain of Sinai, when God revealed himself to Israel, they said, no, put somebody between us. That is the leadership structure they are still living under in the book of 1 Samuel. And now they're not happy with that. And so they look around them and they say, God, everybody else has a king. We want a king too. God says, you don't want a king. I am your king. And they said, no, we want a king. And God says, the king is going to take everything that's important to you. He's going to take the things you've worked for your whole life. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and they're going to be his and you will be as a slave again. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. And God allows it. They choose this structure by asking God not to speak to them. They look around, they see what everybody else has, and they want it. God warns them of the result, and they don't care. They want what they want. You guys see where I'm going with this? God does not force himself on people. God is not going to say to you, you cannot do this. God will say to you, you should not do this. And then he's going to let you decide. And what you decide, you have to live in the consequences of. We see Israel living in the consequences of the decision they made on the Mount of Sinai. And then we're going to see Israel again living in the consequences of living under a king. God is not going to make us do anything. That is not how healthy relationships work. Consider if your significant other put the hammer down and said, this is how it's going to be. Is that going to go well, fellas? No, it will not if you don't know. That's not how healthy relationships work. God allows us to choose to walk our own way, but then we have to live in those consequences. Okay, so here's my thought, okay? This is going to be revolutionary, y'all ready? It's going to rock your world. God's not okay with slavery. You got it? Everybody there? We there? God's not okay with it. He's not putting out these rules because he's okay with slavery. God did not make these rules either to justify or to promote slavery. 
So, so why is God addressing this right off the bat? If he's not justifying it, if he's not promoting it, why is he addressing it? Look at verse 2 in Exodus 21 again. When you buy a Hebrew slave, Israel had just been freed from slavery. 400 years of slavery. And what are they doing? They're buying and selling their own people as slaves. This is mind-boggling to me. I do not understand how they can be set free from the bondage of slavery and continue to live in that construct. God does not want His people living in slavery, but if Israel refuses to comply, He's going to provide a way out for those that are slaves. God's saying, look, this is not how I intend for you to live. It does not communicate the truth about who God is to put someone in bondage. But God says, if you are insistent, I'm going to make a way for those slaves to get out. That whole section that we just read in 21, go back and read it this afternoon, is God saying, okay, if you're going to have a slave, they're going to serve you for only six years, and then you set them free. And God even addresses it again in Deuteronomy and says, not only are you to set them free, but you give them the, the, the part of your flock, you give them the wine from your wine press, and you give them the wheat of your field. Don't send them out in poverty because that's why they came to you. God does not want his people living in slavery. A classic argument for slavery is to reduce slaves to being less than human. To, to demean them and say that they are less than. And God is saying, those are my people made in my image. These rules are requiring Israel to see their brothers and sisters as God sees them. As image bearers of a living God. And just like God does later with Israel when they ask for a king, He's going to allow them to continue to follow their own desires, but He is also going to continue to work those desires out of Him. Listen, if we choose sin over God's commands, He's going to let us live in that sin until we get enough. We call that the gathering place getting to the end of ourselves. None of us in this room are completely where God wants us to be. None of us have made it to perfection. And because we aren't perfect, God is slowly moving us in that direction by speaking into our lives and weeding out the sin that He finds there. And He does that by us daily being before Him and going, hey, Will, that little thing right there, we talked about this last week when I confessed before you guys where my heart was, God has dealt with me on that all week. And we had a conversation on the way here this morning, me saying, God, I know where I am weak and I need you to make me strong. I need you to change the desires of my heart so that they match yours. And we all have to do that daily. Last week when we were in life group, Carrie pointed out that there was a pretty obvious application point that I didn't make last week. Last week when we looked at the response of both Moses and Israel, I made the comment that Moses wanted what Israel dreaded. And the application that Carrie pointed out is that we have to decide for ourselves. And I, am I going to be a Moses and follow God's leadership? Or am I going to be an Israel and say, God, I hear you, but my way's better. You just talk to that guy over there. Here's what I don't want. I do not want us to be a church where you guys look at me and other elders and say, God, you speak to them and then they can tell me what you say. That's not freedom. 
That's bondage. Are we going to continue to live in our ways or are we going to allow God to lead us? I can speak for myself. I want to be led by God. I cannot comprehend how Israel could be delivered from slavery but continue to enslave one another. And it's easy, church, it's easy to look at Israel's mistakes and scoff at them. But if you and I were to take a step back from our own lives and examine it, I guarantee you you're going to see an area of your life where you're choosing to stay in your existing context because following God would be costly. For the Israelites, it would have been costly for those owners to just release their slaves. But it was even more costly for them not to. They choose to continue to support a system of enslavement even after they themselves have been freed from it. Hear the application here. Many of us in this church have made decisions to keep ourselves and others under the slavery of the law even though the price has been paid. And we do that by our judgment. We look at other people and we say, you don't measure up to my standard. And they are still bound under the law as a result of it. You know how that feels because many of you have felt that judgment from others. Christ set us free from the slavery of sin just like God set Israel free from slavery. And God is calling us to live differently. He's calling you and I to live differently than the American culture that we, are, we find ourselves in. And I know that God's calling us to live differently because American and godliness are not synonymous terms. Many people want it to feel that way, but it is not true. Let me give you an example. I had a conversation with one of the other managers where I work. And he, he said to me, just he brought this up, not me. He said, man... We, there was an employee that left and everybody was just behind his back just running their mouths talking to this guy in the dirt and he said I am not going to participate in that anymore from this day forward neither am I going to tolerate from any of my people I said man that's great he said what's happening is that we are putting all our focus on this guy he said you know I got this guy that's been mentoring me for years and I've never heard that man say a negative word about somebody and he said I realized it the other day and I realized the impact that has on the people in his life and he said, I want to have that kind of impact. God pointed out to him through the life of someone else that there was sin in his life. And he recognized it. And he said, God, I need you to take this out of me. Because it's affecting me and it's affecting all the other people that you've put in my life. This is a perfect case study for how we need to examine ourselves. And say, God, where are the areas that I am uh, defaming your name by the way I act, by the way I speak. And then allowing God to not just point it out, but to make change in your life. Listen, God was setting Israel apart. He wanted those around Israel to see how different God is by how different they were. And the same is true for us. God's desire was for Israel, was for them to, set, to, to be a free people that worshipped a God that they loved. Israel wasn't willing to give up on their own desires and they chose to keep themselves in bondage. But even in the midst of their sin, God was working to move them out of it. To move them to be like Him. They were obviously far from that goal, but so were we, just in different ways. All of us need changes in our lives. The objective of God has not changed. God is still wanting to work in each of our lives to move us toward being like Him. He wants us to join Him in setting others free. 
And the way that we do that is by setting aside our desires and asking God what His are and then doing those things. That's an obvious application that I cannot ignore while we're in this passage. Obvious application is that God is going to use us to break down the systemic racism that exists in central Louisiana. He can use us for that. I guarantee you there's not a person in this room who does not know someone in their life that makes comments that demean someone of a different color. You think about it, there's somebody in your life. For, for decades, the church was either participating in racism or unwilling to speak out against it, which is a way of participating. Now listen, hear me. I'm not directing anyone to go do anything. Here's what I'm saying. Ask God. When it happens in your life, whether it's coming out of your mouth or somebody else's, ask God and then follow His lead, not your own. We are not a church of picket signs. You know why? Because Jesus never held one. What did He do instead? He went and sat down and He had a meal and He loved people right where they were. So pray specifically for God to work in that person's heart. There are a number of more than a number. There are a lot of people. I'm from Grant Parish. If you're from here, you know what that means. There are a lot of people in my life, from little bitties to great biggins, that the things that come out of their, their mouth of, that about people of color, they break my heart. And so what good old Grant Parish boy Will wants to do is punch him in their mouth. That's not how Jesus would have responded. And that's not how I'm going to respond. We need to ask God, when those things happen, engage the Holy Spirit and ask Him how you are to respond. Most likely, the way He's going to tell you to do it is to invest in that person's life. Spend time with them, love them, earn the right to be heard, and then, because of the way they see you live, the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in their lives and He's going to change their heart. We must be willing follow God we cannot show culture who God really is if we're not loving one another well everything we do must be done in love and we must be willing to follow God even if it's scary even if it's costly even if it goes against the culture that we live in our willingness to hear God's voice and then to do what he says is what's going to set people Let's pray. God, I thank you for speaking this week. God, I thank you that in the middle of my fear and, and anxiety about how to approach this passage because of my history and because of the, the area that I live, God, I thank you for speaking through that. God, I thank you for the truth that you are going to work in us even when we find ourselves in sin, that you are not going to give up on us. God, it is my, my prayer and my plea that you would help us to be a people who hears your voice, who follows your lead, who sets people free, not because that is our objective, but because we can't help it. Because we are so in love with you that we will take the time to sit down with someone and say, let me tell you about the freedom that God has given me. God, please, please this week, 
Reveal the sin in our lives. And then give us the courage, the strength, the ability to let you work that out of us. God, don't let us just choose to to stay where we are because we're afraid. God, let us be like Moses. Draw us to yourself. 